welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. I was in my middle to late teens. I don't remember exactly how old I was. And we lived in a house out by Clever, towards the Clever, if you know where that is. You're good people, I guess. Out towards Clever. And uh, there was a thunderstorm going on. And I it was the middle of the daytime. You can't really see lightning too much in the daytime, but you can hear it. You can hear the thunder roll. And I was sitting on the front porch, and we had, I don't know, probably an acre and a half of land between us and the road. And then across the road was just a huge cow pasture, acres and acres of cow pasture. And I was just sitting there, standing there on the front porch, and I heard the thunder roar, and I looked, and across the street I seen this big poof of dirt go. The lightning had hit the ground across the street, and it's power. It's pretty incredible to watch the earth explode across the road from you. Lightning is an act of God. Let your house get hit by lightning and then talk to the insurance company. They'll let you know it's an act of God. Lightning. It's this electrical charge in the atmosphere that is looking to be neutralized. And it finds another electrical charge either in a neighboring cloud or the ground. And this, this charge neutralizes itself. And it, there's this incredible spontaneous burst of energy. <sighs> And lightning flashes. A single bolt of lightning on average. And don't ask me who measured it. I don't have a clue. This is just what the encyclopedia said. One bolt of lightning produces one gigajolt of electricity. You use kilowatts in your house. Multiply that by multiply that and then multiply that. Gigajolts. That's quite a little zap. This is an incredible demonstration of the power and the strength of God. Only God can create such an extraordinary, powerful display. It's the physical display of God's strength. And there is nothing like the strength and the power of God. Amen. When God begins to work and when God begins to move, you know without a shadow of a doubt that was God moving. And that's what we're going to talk about today for a little bit and hope you'll join me. We're going to talk about the strength of God. How many has ever been in a place in your life where you just need the strength of God to undergird you? You know, they say you're either going into a problem in the middle of a problem, or coming out of a problem. So that means we all got problems. It depends on how you live your life. Now, now some people live the perspective of they live from valley to valley in life, from problem to problem in life. And there's other people who live from mountaintops to mountaintops. They live from victory to victory in life. I want my perspective to be, I'm relying on the strength and the hand and the power of God. I'm going from mountain to mountain and To get from this victory to that victory, I'll have to go through the valley. I want to reject this notion that life is gloomy and all I have is valleys. And I guess I'll climb this mountain just so I can go to the next valley. What an exasperated life. What a burdensome life. No, I want to live from mountaintop to mountaintop. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in. Nehemiah chapter 6. And then we're going to flip over. To Isaiah chapter 41. 
Nehemiah 6 and 9. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work that is to not, that is, the word is isn't in there, that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. What a powerful prayer. God, strengthen my hands. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. Fear thou not. For I am with thee. Oh, what a promise. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. How many are thankful God's got you? Amen. And can we thank him for just a minute? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your hand of strength. I thank you that you're with us. Oh, praise God. You can be seated today. Thank you for being respectful to the Word of God and standing in its reading. Do you know, we get weak. We get weak. People who are sick in body or gone through procedures and spend multiple days in the hospital, to, even if it was a minor procedure, but if there's days that have have passed, they go through rehab. They go through a therapy process to, to rebuild the, the muscles because just laying in a hospital bed is deteriorating to your muscles. You need therapy to get your strength back. Just living life, we can get weak. Just trying to live for God in a world that's not godly can cause us to become weak in our spirit and weak in our Christian life. We get weak. But we can put our hope and our promise in an everlasting Savior who has the strength to undergird us and lift us up. Amen? You know the story of Nehemiah. He was in captivity, Babylonian captivity, and he got a burden in his heart for the remaining people of Jerusalem, of his people, that he would go back and build the walls of their city. They were living in the ruins of the city. And God gave Nehemiah favor. And I'm going to quickly move through the story. He got the favor of, of the king of Babylon. He got letters and, and the king of Babylon told neighboring countries, give them wood to rebuild the walls, give them money, give them everything they need. And as he travels back, he's collecting all the goods. He gets back, he lays out a plan. He gathers together the people. He shares the vision and then they begin to execute the plan of building back the walls of the city. You know, every time we get right in the middle of doing something for God, there's always opposition. And there were three individuals who just gave Nehemiah fits. Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem, the Arabian. And if you study, you read the first few chapters of Nehemiah, you see that Nehemiah did a great work, and then it was just weeks it took them to do this incredible plan of building back the walls, but it wasn't without its opposition. The threat was so hard against Nehemiah that he commanded the people of God, I want you to work on the wall, but always have a weapon with you, because we never know when they're going to try and attack us. 
They're working and prepared to defend. They're working and prepared to defend. Working and watching. Always aware. Four times, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem came to the walls of the city and they would begin to, to beg to Nehemiah. Hey, Nehemiah. We know you're doing something great, but can you come down? Let's, let's make some treaties. Let's make some pacts. Let's, let's talk about some stuff. Let's, let's deal with things. And, and Nehemiah's like, no, I'm busy doing the work of the Lord. I'm rebuilding. I don't have time to make a treaty with you right now. I don't have time to make a pact with you. I've got to get these walls built. This is my singular focus. Four times. Talk about persistent. They wouldn't quit. And the fourth time wasn't their last time. The fifth time, these three rascals got together, and they put together a letter, and they sent it to Nehemiah. And this letter, you can read it in Nehemiah chapter 6. This letter goes on, and it tells all these, these supposed facts about how Babylon wasn't supporting them anymore, and all of their support was falling away, and nobody believed in what you were doing, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah read the letter, and he goes, this is all lies. This is all fabricated. They even went to the extent that they hired an old guy who was a shut-in, couldn't get out, to help execute an assassination plan on Nehemiah. To Nehemiah chapter 6. Did you know Nehemiah almost got assassinated? They tried to lure him into the temple to get him off the wall from what he was doing. And then the three rascals were going to meet him take him behind the temple and work him over. But Nehemiah said, I'm not leaving the wall. I am working on the wall. I am staying busy on the wall. I will not stop what I am doing. I am working for God. I am doing what God gifted me, empowered me, and gave me favor to do. And so it is in this context we find that Nehemiah prayed his prayer in Nehemiah 6 and 9. For they all made us afraid, saying, Their hands shall be weakened from the work, that it be not done. Nehemiah is saying, Hey, there's all this talk going on. There's all these rumors flying. There's all these letters out there. There's everybody talking about all this stuff. And they say, We're going to get weak. They say, We'll never finish it. They say, Our work is in vain. They're saying, They're not going to support us. He's starting to feel the weariness of the journey. He's starting to feel the weight of what's happening. And in the middle of all that trouble, Nehemiah says, Oh God, strengthen my hands. I want to encourage you today. It doesn't matter how heavy life is. It doesn't matter how burdensome it feels like life is getting right now. It doesn't matter the rumors that are swirling. It doesn't matter the letters that have been sent. It doesn't matter the words that are being spoken, the posts that are being made, the conversation that's happening behind your back. Know this, you're a part of a heavenly kingdom. You're part of a great work that's being done in this earth. And if you're weary and you're tired, then you can pray the prayer of Nehemiah. Oh God, strengthen my hands and he will strengthen your hands it seems at times in our life we are like Nehemiah and his team we're building with one hand and the other hands occupied passing a brick or grabbing a weapon passing a brick or grabbing a weapon we're looking always defending it's laborious you feel weary you may feel weak and at times you may feel as though you have no strength inside of you.
you probably felt like the psalmist in Psalms 119. My soul melteth for heaviness. And then he turns his focus from himself and says, Strengthen thou me according to thy word. Hear me today. If you're heavy in your heart, if you're burdened in your life, if your spirit is under attack, you can rely on God to give you strength. You can be encouraged in the Lord today. I'm talking about what some of us have been through, what some of us are living. We've had some hard times. We've been through some difficult situations. We faced some uncertainties. Maybe it was bad decisions. Maybe it was out of the blue. Maybe it was spontaneous. But you can know for sure, no matter the reason you're where you are, God can bring you out. No matter how heavy the load is, God can help you carry it. Nobody's ever walked up to the altar and laid their burden down at the altar and God be like, whoa, 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 whoa. That one's heavy. Maybe we can do this together. Maybe you've joked when you've been moving from one house to another and you have somebody helping you and you go grab the, a desk or a coffee table or a dresser or something and you tell them, I'll let you get the heavy end and I'll get the light end. God doesn't do that with us. God's not like, you know what? This one's too big for me. We're going to team, we're going to tag team this one. You get the heavy end, then I'll get the light end. That sounds ridiculous. What kind of a God is that? Neither is it the other way. God doesn't say, we're going to tag team this, and I know you're weak right now, so you can have the light end, and I'll carry the heavy end. Sometimes we would be satisfied with that, and maybe that's the problem. We're okay with just giving a little bit to God. I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. But what would happen if I gave all of it to God? He'll pick it all up and he'll carry it. I know it's a worldly reference, forgive me. But the old song says, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Can I, can I change the lyrics? You're not heavy, you're his child. You're not heavy, you're his child. He can carry you. He can lift you up. He'll take care of you. When it seems like you're too weak to take one more step, just fall forward. God will catch you. When it seems like you're too weary to make another move, just fall into the hands of God. Just fall into the grace of God. Just fall into the mercy of God. You may be living in the difficult times. You may be living in stressful times. You may be living in a trial. Some would even call it a tribulation. But trust in God. God is our strength. So even though times may be difficult, the word of God that came through the prophet Isaiah is still true today. Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear thou not. What happens when we get weak? We get afraid. Nehemiah said, we're afraid. We're afraid. But I'm going to ask God to strengthen my hands. And the prophet Isaiah says, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be fearful. When we get weak, we start asking the questions. Not the faith questions. We ask the fear questions. Oh, is this going to work? I don't, I don't see how this is going to work out. What about that? And worry comes. And anxiety comes. 
And what's stressful becomes more stressful because now we're not just stressed about the situation. Now we're stressed about being stressed. Anybody ever woke up trying to figure out how to not be stressed about being stressed just so you can sleep and get over the stress? No, don't be afraid. If you're sitting here today in the house of God, I want to tell you, there's nothing for you to be fearful of. Well, preacher, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But I know the God we serve. And you don't have to be afraid. Maybe I don't know your whole story. And you probably don't know my whole story. But I can tell you with confidence today, you do not have to be afraid. It may be heavy. It may be burdensome. It may be loathsome to you. You may feel depressed and anxiety over it. But don't be fearful. Just put your faith in God. Why? Because in Isaiah he says, Fear thou not, for I am with you. Where's God in this? All I see are clouds. All I see is lightning. All I see is turmoil. All I hear is bad news. All I feel is depression. All I'm experiencing is the negative. Hey, God is right there with you. When it seems it's too dark to count your own fingers, God's right there. When it feels like the air is so heavy that you don't know if you can take another breath, God is right there. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. The Bible tells us there is one that seeketh closer than a brother. That is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He has not abandoned you. He has not lost you. He's not confused about where you are. God's not scrolling through his phone trying to find his, find my friends. Oh, where are they at? He knows right where you are. He knows the pain you feel today. He knows the struggle you dealt with yesterday. He knows the addiction. He knows the situation. He knows the aches that you've been going through. He heard what they said, and he's still with you. Here's the best thing about God. He doesn't believe rumors. He doesn't have to believe rumors. Because he's not reliant upon what other people tell him. He already knows. God doesn't need a busybody to up update him on the latest news. He already knows. He's God. So when they say, I don't know if they're a very good Christian. I don't know if they really want to live for God. I don't know if they're really going to be faithful to the kingdom. Well, I'm sure glad God knows. Because God looks on the heart. God knows the intent with my heart when I woke up this morning. God knows the intent in the prayers that I pray. God knows the intent in the discipleship that I try to live towards Him. God knows I struggle. God knows I have a hard time. God knows it's not always easy. But He knows the intent of my heart. So let them talk about their rumors. But I'm going to put my hands in the strength of an almighty God. I'm going to put my life in the hands of an almighty God. Because He will hold me. He will carry me. I've not even finished the verse yet. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. Do you know my God's different than other gods? My God's different than other gods. I believe Jesus Christ is the one true living God. It's not like we're all on the same page. I don't have to figure out which one of a million different gods I have to pray to today. 
I don't have to build shrines to the, my top ten favorite gods. I'm not throwing stones today. There are people who sincerely do this because this is what they were raised and this is what they believe. I believe if they heard and understood who the one true living God is, they'd be in this house worshiping him today. But God sold Isaiah, for I am thy God. I don't think Buddha's ever told anybody, hey, I'm your buddy. I'm with you. I know I'm calling names. I don't think Hare Krishna ever went up to somebody and said, hey, I'm for you. I don't think the spirit of Moroni has ever come along and encouraged somebody and said, hey, I'm with you. But God said, I'm on your side. I am your God. That's a personable God. You can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the creator of the universe. The God, capital G, of all the other lower G gods. You can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the king, capital K, of all other kings, lowercase k. The Lord, capital L, of lords, lowercase l, is your God. He's with you. He's by your side. And when you feel dismayed or you fear fear or you feel fearful, you can know that he is with you and he is calling out your name and he is holding on to you and he's not lost you. And I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. God knows exactly what you're going through. God knows how far back the tunnel began, and he knows how far forward the tunnel ends. And God has your little dot right in the middle of the tunnel. He's tracking you right through it. And the whole way, God's saying, don't quit. Keep going. Don't stop. Keep going. Don't give up yet. Keep pushing. The end's just around the corner. Your victory's just over the next hilltop. Keep fighting. Keep going. I'm going to be your strength. I'm going to be your encourager. I'm your God. I'm with you. You can make it. Go, go, go. Second Corinthians 12 and 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. His strength becomes my strength when my strength becomes weakness. Does that make sense? When I flex, God says, all right, flex on. But when I stand in front of the mirror, I say, hey, buddy, you ain't got what it takes to make it today. God says, ha, ha, yes. What do you need? I'm here for you. I got you. I got you covered. You need some strength today? Rely on me. You feel like you're, you feel like you're fixing to trip and fall? Fall right here. I got you. Fall right here in my arms. I'm going to take care of it. I'm with you. My grace is sufficient for thee. The best way for God to be glorified is when our flesh is not. If you got it today, God will let you take it as far as you think you can go. But if you'll give it to God, you'll go farther than you ever expected to go. God's not glorified in my gifts and my abilities and my talents. 
when I do it on my own? No, God's glorified when I give it to him. And he takes it and he multiplies it and he expands it. I got some, oh, really, looks? Well, I'll tell you a Bible story. The young man comes on the mountainside. Jesus is teaching all of his followers. The Bible says there was 5,000 men. And then their wives and their children. And they weren't Americans who had a nice four-family home. Four individual family home. So easily there was 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people there. All on the mountainside, sitting. And Jesus is teaching them. And the disciples in their obvious ability to be in tune with the crowd says, uh, these people are getting hungry. Hangry doesn't take long to manifest itself, let me tell you. Jesus, you're losing the crowd. People getting attitudes. They need something to eat. And Jesus is like, all right, what do we got? And some little kid's like, hey, Lord, uh, I got two fish and five loaves. And what we have in our ability, it's insufficient. It won't work. It's not enough. In your strength, it's insufficient. It's not enough. It doesn't measure up. It can't work. It's not going to happen. But God said, if you'll give that to me and let me apply my blessing to it, if you'll give what you have to God and let him apply his strength to it, he'll multiply it. He'll expound on it. He'll expand it. And what you have that's just enough to feed a small little boy will be enough to feed 20,000 people in the multitude. And they'll take up baskets of leftovers. So how big is my God? He's big enough. How strong is my God? He's strong enough. How faithful is my God? He's faithful enough. How much grace is God going to give me? Well, he said, my grace is sufficient. There's no deficiency in grace. His grace is sufficient for you. So the best way for God to be glorified is when our flesh is not. God is best known to those around us when we are less known to those around us. It's not about who I am. It's about who he is. In my weakest moment, he's made strong. The psalmist writes again in Psalms chapter 31, verses 23 and 24. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, for he, has, for he shall strengthen your heart. All ye that hope in the Lord. I think David would have been a pretty cool guy to hang out with. If you're having a bad day, hey David, sing me one of those songs. Hey David, break out your harp. Sing me one of those songs you wrote. Okay. Oh, love the Lord, all ye saints. I'm trying, but it's tough. It's been a rough week. I'm trying to love God, but all these people. I'm trying to love God, but all these situations. 
I'm trying to love God, but all these drivers. A guy honked at me yesterday for being in my lane. I had about a split second where Jesus really intervened. <laughs> Come up on my, on my driver's side honking as he pulls up right alongside of me. And I'm looking out the window, watching the white line. I look at him, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Lord, be my strength. Strengthen my hand to keep him on this steering wheel. Jesus, don't take the wheel. Help me stay right where I'm at. What did David say? He will preserve the faithful. Don't quit. Persevere. Because God's with you. Do you know who doesn't make it out of their dark cloud? The one who quits. In all full transparency, it's a tragic story. It's a tragic story when somebody is going through something and they decide to quit on God in the middle of their trial. They decide to quit on God in the middle of their struggle. They decide at 3 o'clock on Wednesday, when life's been difficult all week, that they're just going to throw in the towel and say, I'm done with God on this. And the whole time, God's like, I got you. I'm watching you. If you'll just be faithful and keep taking one more step, one more step. If you'll be faithful, I'll preserve you all the way till the end. He preserves the faithful. God can't do anything with somebody who quits. So don't stop Keep being faithful because your faithfulness matters. If you read the book of Revelations, John the Revelator is talking about those he sees assembled with God. And he calls them by name. He, he labels them, rather. The called, the chosen, and the faithful. That tells me if I'm going to make it to heaven and I'm going to be assembled with God, the only way I'm going to be there is if I'm faithful. I have to stay in the race. I have to keep my hand to the plow. I have to keep moving forward. There's another promise the psalmist wrote about. It says he plentifully rewards the doer. Sometimes when it gets heavy, sometimes when it gets burdensome, we'll say, well, I'm not going to pray right now. It's too difficult. I'm not going to study the word of God right now. It's too, too difficult. Don't stop living for God now. Dig a little deeper. Push a little harder. Fall into the hands of God. Re, re, um, encourage yourself in your commitment. I'm going to study more. I'm going to read more. I'm going to fall in the hands of God more. Maybe I need to cut some stuff out of my life so that I have more time for God. But I'm not going to stop being a doer of a discipleship lifestyle. My Christian disciplines are going to go deeper. The stakes of my tent are going to go deeper. My commitment to God is going to go deeper. If I could just be real honest and transparent with you today, as the world gets darker, your commitment's going to have to become stronger. 
As society says sin is more and more acceptable, your commitment to God is going to have to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And your reliance upon God will become greater and greater and greater. What about the early church? What about the first church in the book of Acts? How did they survive? They were completely reliant upon God. Stop and think about it. The apostles are just doing the work of God. Just walking down the street, telling somebody about Jesus. They just go to the temple to pray and lift a, lift a man up who's been lame his whole life and his feet get healed and he runs in the temple with a miraculous healing. They're just walking down the street. Blind people are getting healed. The Bible says the faith of the people was so strong that Peter would just walk down the street and his shadow would go over people and they did their miraculous healings. This is the first church. This is the book of Acts. They weren't doing anything malicious. They weren't being nefarious in their actions. They weren't causing problems for the government. They were just seeing God do awesome stuff in people's life. And they get arrested. <laughs> we know why. What are you doing? How are you doing this? And their response was, man, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You can do anything you want. Hold on now, I'm going to step on toes. Buckle up. You can have all the block parties you want. You can give away all the school. I'm okay with all this stuff. Just hear me through. You can have potluck dinners. You can give out money to the poor. You can do all these things. You can do anything you want. Just don't do any of that Jesus stuff. You can hand out backpack with school supplies. You can go volunteer. You can do all these great community service things. And we should. We should serve. But the world is okay if we serve them. The problem comes when we ask them to serve him. When we begin to move the influencer from being this world's influencer to being heaven's influencer. When it becomes less about the powers of this world and it becomes more about the power of God. I'm way out of my notes. But when we begin to rely on Jesus... It starts ruffling feathers. It starts messing with people. How did the early church survive? Because they were 100% reliant upon Jesus Christ. Where did their strength come? From Jesus Christ. How did Peter get out of jail? Because of Jesus Christ. How did the man who fell asleep in church, fell out the window and died, how did he come back to life? They had a preacher that knew to stop and go down there. Pray for the man. And Jesus made him come back to life. So if you ever fall asleep in church, there's hope for you. You may have to die to get there. But there's hope for you. Be warned. Falling asleep in church could cause death. They relied 100% on Jesus Christ. They kept doing what they were doing. They fulfilled the Great Commission, and God was their strength. I'm encouraging you today. You may be going through it. It may be tough, but 2 Thessalonians says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Did you know this phrase? Paul used this phrase twice in the Bible. He used it when he wrote to the church in Galatia. 
And then he used it again here when he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. To the Galatians, he said, in the context of sowing and reaping, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. Galatians. And Thessalonians, he wrote to them in the context of being faithful. Be not weary in well-doing, period. It's an emphatic statement. Yes, you could get weary. Yes, there's opportunity to be weary. Yes, it would be easy to become weary, but don't. Don't become weary. Put your trust in God. Stay in the game. Go through the stuff. Let God use you and your weakness becomes his strength. Oh, maybe you've experienced hurt and pain and confusion and rejection. Maybe there's a host of offenses that have been done towards you. But don't be offended and quit. Rather, admit your weakness and let the strength of God be made known in you. 1 Peter 5 and 10. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. How many is thankful? Christ Jesus, the death he put on the cross. I'm thankful that I can come to an altar and I can repent of my sins. And because he died on the cross, my sins could be forgiven. I'm thankful that I can be obedient to the gospel and I can go into a baptistry and I can be buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins and all of that past is washed away. All of that ungodliness is cleansed out of my life and there becomes a separation between who I was and who am I becoming. I'm thankful for the eternal glory of Christ Jesus. But it says after that, Ye have suffered a while. We didn't need this part of the verse. Lord, why'd you put this in there? Why? Comma, make you perfect. Established. That's King James Version for established. Strengthen and settle you. One pastor said, I won't have anybody on my staff that's not had a major life crisis. Why did he make that statement? He made that statement because he wanted people who understood what it meant to rely on Jesus Christ. They'd been through some stuff. They've had some struggles. They've had some hard times. They've had some dark days. They've had some stress, anxiety, depression. They've been through some addiction. They've come through some situations. But they found out that Jesus Christ will establish you. And he will strengthen you. And he will settle you. So you say, I understand all of that happens. But it says it happens because I'm suffering a while. Well, how long is a while? Great question. I don't know. It's the best answer I got. I don't know how long. The Bible doesn't give us an answer how long. But it tells us he'll bring us through. So while we may not be able to measure the minutes, the days, the weeks, the months, the timeline for how long we'll go through it, we know that it is just a season, and there is a victory coming. How long is the valley? It's as long as the valley is. How long is the trial? As long as the trial is. How much tribulation will I go through? You'll go through the tribulation until you have jubilation. 
you'll be here as long as it takes to get through it. But our focus isn't on where I am. My focus is on where I'm going. This season will pass. This season will pass. We'll all be wearing coats in December. This season will pass. You will have a day of joy unspeakable that's full of glory. You will have a day of great rejoicing in your life. You will wake up one morning and not be depressed and not overcome by anxiety. You will be victorious if you'll put your hand in the hand of Jesus Christ. If you'll rely on His strength. The psalmist understood it. Let's go to Psalms chapter 20. You know the story of David. He's just a kid. Youngest get the worst duties. Youngest in the family gets the worst job, right? Hey, David, guess what you get to do? Go watch the sheep. Go hang out with the stinky, smelly, dumb, ignorant sheep. You know, the ones that just walk off the edge of the cliff and you have to go catch them. They just, they see that green blade of grass, that's the one they're going for. Who, who cares if it's on the other side of a roaring river? Go take care of them. Go hang out with them. They're nice, thick, matted wool that's been soaked in the rain and rolled in the mud and it smells just horrendous. You get to hang out with them, David. And while David's out doing the duty of the youngest, a prophet comes to his house. God's told me to come to this house, Jesse, and anoint the next king of Israel. Okay. Wow. And so he starts with his oldest son. He brings him in. Surely it's the oldest. Surely. Nope. Next one, nope. Next one, nope. Next one, nope. Oh, they had lots of kids back then. Next one, nope. They get through all the children, all the sons. The prophet's thinking, hmm, that's a long journey. We went through all the kids. Jesse, by chance, got any more kids? Got one hidden in the closet somewhere? What's, any more? Well... I got one. He's just a little guy. I got one. He's just a little guy. He's out in the field watching the sheep. I, I, prophet says, I'm not sitting down until he's here. Bring him. And they bring David in. Just a, the Bible uses the word ruddy little kid. He's standing there. Barely old enough to understand what's going on. The prophet begins to pour out the oil. Begins to anoint him to be the next king of Israel. Wow. You and I, we probably would have ran to our bedroom, got all of our stuff, packed it up and said, all right, prophet, let's go. Where's the palace? After the oil dried, maybe they ate a meal. I don't know. The prophet got back on his beast and left. David went back out in the field, started watching the sheep. This isn't what kings are supposed to be doing. 
wasn't long, David ended up in the palace. Not in the king's throne, but he was brought to the palace because the king had some probably mental health issues. He had a demon that troubled him. And it was the praise music that David would play on his heart that would soothe down the evil spirit that was in Saul. And so David's sitting in the palace, maybe even in the throne room, while the crazy king sitting on the throne, the anointed next king is sitting there serving him. I can't get into all the story detail, the whole line. But before long, he's sitting at the table with the king because he becomes friends with Jonathan. And Saul, in his manic state, takes a javelin and throws it at David, trying to pin him against the wall. I want to talk about an unhappy dinner. But nobody said anything after that. So David ends up running for his life. He's running for his life. Anointed to be king, but running in the wilderness. Literally trying to evade the army of Israel, which is coming after him. And it was in that scenario we get this passage. Psalms 20, 1 and 2. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble. David understood what the day of trouble is. The name of God, the name of the God of Jacob defend thee. What's the name of the God of Jacob? Jesus. He didn't know his name, but he knew to call out on him. Send me help from the sanctuary and strengthen me out of Zion. Can I tell you today, David, while called and anointed to be king, was running for his life. He was trying to save himself from the destruction of Paul. And he realized that his strength was going to come from the church and by the church. And this is why we gather. And this is why we come together as a body of Christ. You can't make it on your own. You need the strength that's administered from God through his body. Paul got to use Bible or got to use body parts in his, in his letters that he wrote to make examples. So let me give you an example using body parts. What happens if you cut your right foot off? Ouch. That's a good answer. And never go to the doctor and never have it reattached. Your right foot dies. What happens if you disconnect yourself from the body of Christ and you're never connected to the body of Christ? The body cannot administer the healing that's needed to it. But if you, by chance, have an accident and your foot gets dismembered, you can take it to the doctor and they can sew it together and they'll screw the bones together and they'll sew the nerves together and they'll sew the tissue together and they'll put the blood vessels together and if it all works out right, blood will begin to flow and the body will then administer healing You find the strength of God, as David said, in the sanctuary. Welcome to the sanctuary. Welcome to the sanctuary. What is a sanctuary? It's a safe place. 
It's a place where the poachers are pushed out. It's a place where the rumor mill is silenced. It's a place where the peace of God reigns and rules. And it is in the sanctuary that strength comes out of Zion. And what is Zion? Zion is the church, not the physical structure of the church. Zion is the ecclesia, the people of the church. So if you'll fall in the hands of God and you'll let him begin to administer his strength to you, you'll realize it in the sanctuary from the people of God. Oh, there's something powerful about when you go to the altar and you lay it out before God and the people of God begin to gather around you. And maybe they lay a hand on your shoulder and you hear them pray a prayer. God, I'm praying for my brother today. Lord, would you give him strength? Lord, I know you can bring him through this. You brought me through same situations and you're hearing a testimony. And then on this side you hear another brother say, Lord... You brought me out of dire situations before. Lord, you can bring this brother through it. You can bring him out. And you're hearing another testimony. And then someone else, you hear their voice saying, come on, just trust in God. Just put your confidence in God. And you, you find just that little mustard seed of faith. And you say, all right, God, if you've done it for these, I believe you can do it for me. And you fall into the hands of God, weak, tired, worn out, completely exhausted. And the strength of God just... Shows up. He re-energizes you. He fills you. He picks you up. He encourages you. You come to church dreading Monday. But you leave church excited about living for God one more day. Strength comes from being at church. And it comes from the church itself. There's power in being surrendered to God at the altar. There's a strength that only God can give when you put your trust in Him. Oh, if we would just put our trust in Him. Thank you for listening to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at lifespringchurch.us.